0: or watching live stream, we're happy you're with us this morning. Welcome to Southwoods. Welcome to worship. I have uh, Cody bringing us the word today. Excited about that. Um, Before we get started, though, I do have a couple of announcements. As you know, there's all kinds of information in the back about all the ministries that we have, ways for you to get involved. Please take a look at that. And um, there's some information back there also about this great event that's coming up on Thursday. This is a women's event it's called um what's it called standing firm on god's promises this is the card that's back there um they're asking that you wear pink so wear pink and bring a snack to share and one of the things that you're going to be doing there this is this coming thursday in the the uh, student center at 6:30 this little um, flyer is back there too these are the things that you can bring for donations and this is for advice and aid this is the list so you want to take a look at that and make sure you bring what you need to bring uh come and join uh, the awesome ladies of Southwoods to be part of this event on thursday august the 4th all right announcements done let's pray together lord god thank you for this time thank you for uh, the fact that your presence is already here i know that without a doubt feel you. I can sense you. I know that you're here. And Lord, you're ready for us to sing to you. You're ready for us to worship you. You're ready for us to put everything aside that we brought that's a distraction and spend all of our time and our focus on you. And thank you, Father, that we have the privilege to do that freely. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up together. and we're so glad you're here. Please take a minute to turn around and say hi to somebody. so glad we have a minute just to say hi before we start our next song i just want to talk about the ways to give when you are um, listening to the lord and wanting to be a blessing to southwoods and to the ministries that we are part of there are those three ways to give you can see up here on the screen if you have any questions you can always call miss jackie so we're going to continue on with our time of worship continue. Sing it again with all your heart, and all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry these. when we have um, struggles and distractions and things that um, we're thinking, yeah, this is a tough time right now, but then another one comes and another one comes. They kind of come in threes. It's weird. I don't know why that happens. Um, Dan and I have had a week like that. Actually, the last 10 days, a lot of things happening. Air conditioner went out on the hottest day of the summer had to cancel a birthday party my dog got sick i mean it's just a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> so it kind of sounds like murphy's law but thank god we don't live under murphy's law amen we live under the grace and the mercy of god and right after that happened god brought days of cooler air and i don't know about y'all but he did it just for me <laughs> I, th- I think he did it just for me but I'm just so grateful because that, if, if we keep our f- eyes focused, even in those tough times, and those aren't as tough as some of the times y'all are going through right now. Some of you have really tough stuff going on. I can't even imagine. So with this next song and our entrance into the work, to the um, table of God for communion, there's an opportunity for us to be silent to sit in the stillness of God because when we're distracted by all the things that are going on and and especially when they're coming one after another, the arrows, the fiery arrows of the enemy come one after another. It's hard to sit still and stop talking and stop thinking. But that's exactly what we need to do because God has a plan. He has a plan. We just have to sit still long enough to hear it. I'm grateful for that. And God's plan for the entire universe was Jesus Jesus he's the author and finisher of our faith he's the one that died on the cross for our sins he's the one that allows us to be in the presence of God anywhere we are anytime for any reason we are so grateful to him so this morning as you're preparing your heart for communion to say thank you for all he's done on the cross let that silence envelop you a little bit God's got something to say, I have no doubt this morning. Rely on you and the power of your holy spirit to renew our strength this morning as we take communion as we have the cup and the juice reminding us of what jesus did on the cross as we sit and listen this morning lord reveal yourself to us as we worship you and as we desire and draw you towards us lord speak to our hearts heal our minds provide wisdom give us everything we need lord to be exactly who you created us to be and in the troubles and the trials help us to remember that you're there every single moment you never leave us or forsake us you are good and it's in jesus name we pray amen
1: not joe's fault that's my fault good morning hey uh first off uh creative arts good job this morning thank you so much for what you do So awesome. Hey, uh, a couple quick announcements before I get into things. Um, There is a Trailblaze men's hiking trip that's going to be taking off on Wednesday. Uh, If you could be praying for us, that'd be great. We might even be able to fit in a couple of you if you still want to go. So let me know if you're interested. And the other thing I want to say is this Tuesday is a really big vote, and I encourage you to go and vote. There's a lot of big things kind of on the ticket for this time. So um, let me just start off by prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for loving us, for... For guiding us and giving us direction. And I pray this morning that you uh, use um, these words that I believe you have given me to just make an impact in all of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the, the scripture that gives us life. And I pray that we seek it and seek you daily and that we uh, listen attentively to your words in Jesus name. Amen. In February of 1952, so before I was ever born, there was a couple guys named Jim Elliott and Peter Fleming who arrived in Ecuador uh, with the intent of reaching out to the uh, Warani tribe that's there in Ecuador. And uh, later they ended up being joined by three other guys, but they went there to to, um, witness and to evangelize this Warani people. Now, by the other tribes around the area, they were known as the Aka, which is a derogatory term, but it meant savage. Because that's exactly what the Warani people were, is they were savages. They, they had a belief that anybody who, uh, they, they had no connection to modern civilization whatsoever. And if anybody came into their territory, they actually viewed anybody else, all the other people, as as cannibals and headhunters, and so they killed anybody who stepped foot into their territory. But on top of that, they actually had a lot of factions within their own group, their own tribes, and they had a lot of vengeance killing. So they were constantly killing people in this family group and then this family group, going back in the middle of the nights doing raids, and they were decimating even their own population to the point that nobody in the tribe... Had, didn't have a family member who had been, close family member who had been killed. Um, and it's just, it was literally a kill or be killed society. And that's where Jim Elliott and Peter Fleming, and then he, there was Ed McCauley, there was Roger Udarian, and their pilot Nate Saint felt called to minister and, work and, and to serve these people, to evangelize to them. And they had made some connections over some of those years, but in 1956, January 8th, 1956, These men decided to make an encounter with with these these Warani tribe. And they ended up deciding, they had guns with them, but they said that we're not gonna use it in self-defense. We will maybe try to scare them away if for some reason they decide to attack us, but we're not gonna kill them because as believers, we know where we're going, but we also know as unbelievers that we know where they're going. And to make a longer story short, within a matter of hours, all five men were dead at the end of Spears. And it's easy to ask a question, why would God allow such thing? I mean, you've got these young men in their 20s, families, each of them, and they, they aren't going to be going home to their families. I mean, they had a, a life of service that they had planned. And then you've got the Warani who are uh, dead in their own sin. They are living in fear, and now nobody will probably want to go and to witness to them at all. None of it makes sense, does it? at least not according to human wisdom. But maybe some of the answer comes in some words that Jim Elliot penned in his journal seven years before his death. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see, these men understood that our temporary circumstances, even the ones that hold the power to end life, pale in comparison to God's eternal plan. We're going to be reading today from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. You can, you can go there if you'd like, or there's also going to be uh, the scripture up on the screen as well. But I'm going to also, before we get into this, I want to give you a little bit of background on this, because background matters. And especially in this case, I think it gives us a little bit of an idea of what's going on here. Early in this chapter, we find out that Paul and Silas are on, Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's going out and he's... Um, Missioning, he's evangelizing to some different places, um, and he's particularly in, in this area of Asia, kind of like the Middle East there. And he and Silas are going around, and they've encountered a man, a young man named Timothy. Timothy, we find out, is a respected man, uh, and from some other books like First and Second Timothy, uh, we find out that he is a protege, a student. He becomes a student of Paul. So he's touring around with them as well, and they're wanting to go to all these places. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit throws up a whole bunch of roadblocks, and they can't get into all these different places that they're wanting to go. And then on top of that, in the middle of the night, Paul has a dream, and he has a dream of a Macedonian man, which is over in Greece, begging for them to come over. And so it's kind of obvious the Holy Spirit's guiding, so they get up, and they decide to go over for the first time over into Europe. And not only that, but if you look carefully, you see um, that there's another situation, another change that is in in the writings here. We have Luke, who is writing the book here of Acts. And this whole time, he's been writing about Paul and Silas, and he keeps saying, they, they, they're doing this, they're doing this. And all of a sudden, he begins to write, we. You see, Luke has now joined them in this. Kind of cool here. So they go over into this area of Macedonia, which is Greece. Um, And if you know uh, your history a little bit, Alexander the Great's father was named Philip. Philip was, uh, he was from this area. Um, He's the one who kind of rallied the city states all together of Greece to become the power that they became under Alexander the Great. Well anyway, there's a town that was named after him called Philippi. And that's what we're talking about here is this area And it's also what we see later that Paul writes a book to that we we know today as Philippians. It's this place. And so it seems like the Holy Spirit is really lining up something important here. He's directing very carefully. He's making it obvious that Paul and Silas need to be going over here. And then he's creating this lineup of people. He's got Paul and Silas leaders, he's got Timothy, a student here, and he's got Luke the historian, almost as if he's trying to say, "Hey, there's something that you really need to make sure that's about to happen." And I believe that it's probably more than just this story, but I believe that this is a very powerful and important story for us to look together, look at together today. So let's go ahead and read the beginning of this starting with verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So let's take a moment to digest this really quick here. There's a woman who has an evil spirit in her and, uh, and keeps following them around. Is telling them, tr- telling truths, which is kind of interesting. But I really kind of enjoy this moment because I actually see Paul as a human being here. He's a lot more like me because it says he gets annoyed. <laughs> I mean, you can maybe relate to that too. And, and I don't know the reason why he's annoyed. I don't know if he's just in his own spirit is just like, she is really annoying. Or, or if it's a situation where he's like, this is actually damaging to the message of what God wants. But all, either way, he turns and he, he casts the evil spirit out of her. And then what happens is this woman's masters are mad. Why? Not, I mean, they don't really care about her, but they're worried. They don't like the fact that Paul and Silas have just impacted them financially. Let's be honest. They're pretty much slave owners. It's a pretty big, pretty bad situation here. And Paul and Silas... Before the magistrates, or they bring Paul and Silas before the magistrates, and they frame their argument like this These Jews, I don't think that this is probably just a statement of location. It was probably something derogatory to Paul and Silas, saying that these men are not like us Romans. In fact, that's what they say us Romans, they believed that they were better and they lived by a better standard. And then they, they, they say this: they teach customs that are illegal for us to practice. To silence Paul and Silas and their message, they tried to convince everyone that their beliefs were unlawful and against the Roman customs. It's good to see that things have drastically changed since then, hasn't it? You See, the tools that, were wa- that are waged against us today, they're not new tools. They're spiritual tools that continue to be raised from generation to generation. Even then, the people argued that the good news of God's freeing love wasn't safe for the public square, it wasn't safe, it shouldn't be allowed in public discourse, and, and it shouldn't have an opportunity to be discussed freely. Even then, the words that give freedom were dangerous to those who were desiring to keep people captive. This is just my opinion, but I think that this is maybe why the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure that Luke captured this in his writings. He wanted Luke to answer in this passage the question that is on every sinner's heart. In this world where people are held captive to shackles both seen and unseen, does Jesus have power even over this? And what role can we play in ushering in this miraculous work of Christ? So let's take some time to work through the rest of this passage right here as we carefully see what is revealed. In doing so, I want, I'm, I'm hoping that you can see, I'm hoping to convince you that what we see in Paul and Silas is something very powerful. It's that they, they choose humble worship instead of selfishness and to see what kind of impact this makes. See, Paul and Silas are the blueprint of what it means to let our worship become a witness, especially in the face of opposition. A couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke on stage here um, after our mission trip, and we t- I talked a little bit about finding joy and how finding joy, the root of that is, is being able to have gratitude, gratitude in all of our circumstances and all of our situations. And that gratitude allows us to have joy no matter what. And the fruit of that joy eventually shows itself publicly in worship. It's kind of the foundation of worship that we can have. So here are four things that I think Paul and Silas, how I see them, how they chose to set up their witness in worship and how we can learn from them. And here's the first thing. They worshiped in their position. They worshiped in their position. They chose to view opposition as an opportunity, or another way to say it, they focused on their opportunity instead of their opposition. Paul and Silas could have been selfish. They could have been mad. They could have, they could have tried to escape. They could have been yelled. They could have demanded their rights. They could have done any of that stuff, but what they chose to do is instead humbly trust God. They chose the, the position of humility Let's read this together. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So you can say, okay, well, that's just kind of, I mean, that's just what happens. I mean, they weren't necessarily... What's special about that necessarily? It really stinks. It's not great. But when you realize that they didn't even really have to go through this, that they allowed this to happen, let's look down in verse 35 and following. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want to leave us secretly. Certainly not. Let them come, continue, let them come themselves to release us. See, they they the people didn't realize that they were Roman citizens. They had every right to have a fair trial and everything else. And it says when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman c- citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia where they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. I heard a phrase when I was younger that's always kind of stuck with me, especially when I'm going through some some different hard times, I guess. It's that the light shines brightest in the darkness. The greatest chance of impact comes when we choose to enter into a dark, messy world and be the light of God. But because... Light, you realize that light can cast out darkness. Darkness can't cast out light. But because of that, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, the darkness, and the darkness will always attack it. If the darkness can't seduce us, it will try to destroy us. And even more than that, because we carry the light, we, don't want, it, we want to be able to share this to light other people's paths. We want to set, help set other people free, and that comes at a cost, doesn't it? Freedom isn't always free, is it? Freedom costs us something. We see this in the, powerfully in the Old Testament story of Joseph. This is another story of, a worship, of worship and witness in prison as well. Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons, and he's not exactly, he's the father's favorite, but he's not his brother's favorite. And he has a special coat that's been given him. And the brothers get pretty frustrated and angry, especially when Joseph keeps reminding them, I've had this dream where you guys bow down to me. You know, it's not the best way to develop a sibling relationship right there. But anyway, they finally decide, you know what, we'll at least make some money. Let's uh, sell him to some people who are going down to Egypt. And, And he got sent down there and he became a slave. He became a servant. Uh, with a man named Potiphar and because of Joseph's character he, it served him well most of the time and he rose up in power and was in charge of all of Potiphar's stuff. He was a very well, um, he was a leading official in, in Egypt and Joseph was in charge of all of his affairs until Potiphar's wife decided to seduce him. You remember I said if the world can't seduce you or darkness can't seduce you, we'll try to destroy you. That's what she did. And she, because he, he, uh, he wouldn't be a part of that, she uh, told Potiphar and, and Joseph went to prison, but yet prisons uh, didn't destroy Joseph. He continued to show his character and he, I have no doubt, worshipped in there because we see what his character was like and, and, and he, was, uh, he was raised up even in position in the jail. Pretty amazing stuff. Think about that, that you could be so trusted as a prisoner that you're in charge of a lot of things in the jail. Can you imagine that? That's pretty crazy. But that's Joseph. And, and kind of long story short, he ends up, um, he ends up um, being able to uh, interpret a variety of dreams or some dreams, and, uh, including the dreams of, of Pharaoh. And so he ends up being raised up into position to second in all of Egypt, which puts him in a position to really make an impact, to really be able to help provide for a lot of people. For not only the people of Egypt, but the people in all the area around. When there's a, when there's, um, um, I'm trying to think of the word. What is it? Uh, thank you. Famine. When there's a famine in, in the area. And so once again, God it shows that his, even his dream was true. And his brothers come and they bow before him. Once again, Joseph's character shines through in this moment. Um, and Joseph understood something on a God level instead of on a human level, or at least on a spiritual level instead of on a human practical level. In both of these scenarios, with Paul and Silas and with Joseph, God allowed both of them to be socially humiliated in order to set up an amazing story of influence. You see, God is, in God, our social position is never an indicator of our position of influence, God regularly uses unexpected people in order to fulfill his plans. And once Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, he quickly calms them of their fears of retribution by saying these words, and I love these words that he says. In Genesis 50:20. he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I wish we had that type of heart set when we come upon these type of things in our lives. Spiritually, it's the same thing. If you want to make a genuine impact, sometimes you have to give up your own freedom in order to purchase the freedom of others. In order for Joseph to be in this position of, to free others, God put him into a humbling position first. And our faithful sacrifice points to a kingdom that is so much greater than us. It's our witness in worship. As with everything, Jesus is the perfect example of this. I don't know if you realize that Jesus had a pretty good gig going on before he came to earth. I mean, you think about it. He was, he was in charge. Uh, I mean, in, in, of all he had all authority in heaven and on earth. He didn't have to deal with temptations. I mean, he had perfect unity with God. He didn't have the limitations we do as humans. And yet Jesus chose to submit his own freedom when he gives up all these things and he comes to earth and is placed on a cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins. All Jesus did was lead a perfect life that included healing people and casting out demons and speaking words of life and bringing light into darkness. And what happened to him? He was silenced and he was killed. However, because he was willing to choose to give up his freedom, we each have been given The opportunity to be free of our sins. When we freely give up our freedoms and rights as human beings, as followers and as image bearers of God, and yet glorify God in the midst of those challenges, we become an incredibly bright light in what can be a very dark place. This can be true even for other believers. When I see other believers who go through some hard times, but they continue to remain faithful. They continue to worship. It builds me up as well. It keeps me going and allows me to go through some more and bigger challenges. It's awesome how that is. The greatest testimony of faith when we go through trials is that maybe we can be like Joseph and say that you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. If you want to leave an impression, sometimes you have to allow for opposition. For Paul and Silas, is a, this is a situation that was meant for suppression but became a very powerful opportunity for impression. Here's the second thing. They worship not only in their position but also in their praise. They chose praise instead of pouting. Instead of focusing on their situation, they ch- chose to focus on their Savior and, and they put their focus back on him. You know, pouting is one of the easiest things we can do emotionally, right? Little kids learn it pretty easy. We can pout, all right? And unfortunately, I'd like to say that as adults, we've grown out of that and kind of haven't learned how to, we no longer do this pouting thing, but sometimes we do, we're pretty good at it, aren't we? But pouting is the exact opposite of praise. It is impossible to pout and praise at the same time. Pouting focuses on yourself. Praise focuses on God. Pouting makes you look down. Praise makes you look up at Jesus, not only that, but have you ever heard the phrase, misery loves company? It's true, isn't it? When we're miserable, when we're pouting, we we really want we don't want to be the only one in this position. So we kind of try to even affect other people and make them miserable as well, right? And yet I believe that even though praise is the opposite, praise also loves company too. Because we find that when we praise, it tends to build other people up. It allows us to look at things in a different way than maybe what we're currently focused on. There is transformative power in praise. Let's keep reading. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I love that. See, all night, the other prisoners, prisoners were listening. Do you think it was just the prisoners? And here, in just a moment, we're gonna hear about this jailer. But they heard the worship of Paul and Silas And they realized that even though they were shackled physically, they were not shackled spiritually. Their bodies were in chains, but their spirit was not. And it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible that this kind of praise shakes prisons to their foundation? Is it possible that this kind of praise has the opportunity to open the gates of captivity? It's pretty amazing. I do believe that it is possible that even though it is God who does the work, it is our praise in the midst of persecution that shakes the foundations of faith to its bedrock, to its cornerstone, enacting God to do miracles through our humble submission to him. I find it fascinating that the account of this earthquake is amazingly similar to the earthquake at Jesus's resurrection. And I also find it fascinating that in both instances, the story is the same. Chains fall off, prisoners are free. Here's the third thing, they worshiped with their mercy. They chose mercy instead of maliciousness. Let's keep reading here, verse 27. The jailers woke up to see the prison doors wide open can you imagine how he felt in that moment? Um, this isn't good. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew the sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas. Because of Paul and Silas' authentic praise... It opens the door for life-altering mercy in this moment. Immediately following what I call the great escape here, the the jailer was afraid and was ready to take his own life. You see, the Romans, they really valued order. For all of their leaders, whether it was soldiers or jailers or anybody, it was one of their main things was was to keep order. And if they didn't keep order, they were basically forfeiting their own lives. And the jailer knew this. He was about to take his own life. And yet Paul and Silas once again gave up their own freedom and their chance at freedom and safety in order to play a role in someone else's salvation. And not only that, I find it amazing that none of the other prisoners, they all had had their gates open and shackles removed, but none of them were gone as well. You see, I think that this, this praise that they had, this witness and worship allowed them this influence that really made an impact on all of them. And right now, they chose this moment to show mercy to this jailer. Paul and Silas were never focused on what people were doing to them. They were staying focused on the greater fight that we can't see. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. Here's the fascinating reality of this exchange that happens here between Paul and Silas and this jailer, is that at the beginning of this story, Paul and Silas are in chains, aren't they? They're the ones that are physically in prison, but by the end of the night, it was the jailer and his family who had been set free. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says this, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Here's the fourth thing. They also worshiped with their message. They worshiped with their message. They chose intention instead of attention. Whether Paul and Silas were speaking to large crowds or they were speaking to just one jailer, they didn't, just make, them, they didn't make themselves the center of the attention. And not only that, their message never changed. They humbly pointed to Jesus, the one who could save them. Here's what it says in verse 31 and following. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all those who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had all believed in God. John Piper, who's a, a, a pastor, many years later wrote about this story that I told you at the beginning of the message here of Jim Elliott and the four other men. And he wrote, God did not ex- exercise his omnipotence to deliver Jesus from the cross, nor will he ex- exercise it to deliver you and me from tribulation. As he said, John 15, 20 says, since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And he said, if we've... We have the faith and single-mindedness and courage of those five missionaries. We might find ourselves saying with the Apostle Paul in Romans, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Just like Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, like I said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Paul and Silas witnessed with intention. Whether the group was large or small, whether they were in freedom or captivity, all people got the same message. All people heard about the forgiveness that they could have through the blood of Jesus. It was never for their own attention. You see, when we truly choose to witness and minister with intention instead of doing it for attention, we shake the foundations of the enemy. Piper continued by saying it this way. I love this quote. In the darkest moments of our pain, God is hiding his weapons behind enemy lines. Here's what this kind of worship reveals. It reveals something so much deeper than the surface. While most of the world is blown back and forth by the winds of temporary circumstance, the faithful followers allow these circumstances to blow away the chaff in order to reveal something that is so much deeper than can be seen otherwise. You see, worship in the midst of depression, suppression, oppression, reveals a faith that can make an impression. It reveals the real impression of God on our hearts that can't be beaten down, talked down, or eroded down. A faith that stands tall in the midst of storms and is a lighthouse to everyone around. In the Gospels, there's a story of a lame man who is brought before Jesus. It's a fascinating story. And the people can't get to to Jesus. They know he can heal him. So they take him up to the roof. They tear apart the roof And they lower him down to Jesus. And Jesus sees the faith of this man's friends and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't that seem weird? He was just brought here to be healed and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That seems weird. Yet Jesus was more focused on a deeper and much more important issue, sin. But then, so everybody could see that he had the power to forgive sin. And so they could outwardly see what had been done on the inside. He then said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Which was the bigger miracle here? I don't think it was the, the healing of the man's paralyzed legs. It was forgiving the man's sin. And yet God used an outward symbol to reveal an inner reality. And you may not realize this, but the story we read on Paul and Silas is the same story with different details. These people's physical chains have just been released, but that's not the amazing part of this story. The amazing thing about this story is the spiritual chains have been broken. People who were captive have now been made free, the, the hopeless have been given hope, the lost have been found, the blind can now see, the lame can now walk. Don't you see God is using an outward symbol to reveal an inner reality? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thanks to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now comes the uncomfortable question. What is God revealing in you? Does your life look any different and those who do not believe in the hope of Christ. Does your life look any different than it did last year or five years ago? Does your life reveal chains that are being broken or have been broken? Because if it doesn't, all of us need to go back and look at this story of Paul and Silas and to find the joy that is then revealed in worship. True, selfless, humble worship multiplies the good news and then multiplies the grace of God because of the people. Because of their selfless worship, more people were released from spiritual chains that night than from physical chains. Like I said earlier, on January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and his friends were slain by some Warani warriors at the end of Spears. What happened next makes no sense. It seems counterintuitive and can only ex- be explained by an act of God. On January 30th, Life Magazine of that year, by the way, um, Life Magazine published a 10-page photo essay covering the story. And it spread the news around the world of what, what had happened, and it became one of the most inspirational missionary stories of the 20th century. The, short, the story shocked millions, but it actually ended up having the opposite effect from what you might think. This act of love by these five men and their families ended up sending thousands of people onto the mission field. Not only that, but two years later, some of the wives and sisters and even some of the children who were of these very slain men chose to go back and live among the Warani. It wasn't very long before uh, some of these Warani people ended up becoming Christians One of the warriors named Minkaye became so close to Steve Saint, the son of the very man he killed, that he adopted him as his tribal son. He became a church leader and an elder, and when Steve decided to get baptized, it was Minkaye whom Steve asked to baptize him. Years later, Minkaye actually journeyed to uh, the amazingly foreign land of America here uh, for them to share their story uh, along with Steve Saint. And uh, he finally opened up about something that, an amazing experience about um, something that happened when the slaughter had happened that even Steve Saint had never known about. While they were touring, he heard a particular gospel music song, a choir. And though he had never heard choir music before, he realized that he immediately, that he had heard this song before. See, after the five missionaries were killed, the warriors present recalled seeing blinding, light, and angels above the missionaries, and this choir singing this song that had been sung. It's as if the angels had come to complete the worship that these men had been a part of in their lives and in their sacrificing of their lives. Steve Saint, that said of this moment years later and reflecting on how God used their actions to change the hearts of these killers, he said, the old saying is, hurt people hurt people. But if that's true, then I wondered if the opposite could be true as well. Forgiven people learn to forgive. See, just like Paul and Silas, these men had given, and their families, had learned to to experience the power of witness and worship. They chose to view their opposition as an opportunity. They chose to praise instead of pout. They chose mercy instead of maliciousness and they chose intention instead of attention. And at the end, the resulting story is amazingly consistent. God breaks the chains of everyone involved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are in the business of breaking chains. And Lord, I pray that our lives reveal this truth, that your blood... Breaks those chains. It breaks the chains of sin. It breaks the chains of of struggle. Lord, I pray that that we accept that fully. And Lord, I pray that we we make a choice, a willful choice, to let our witness, to to be, to let our worship become a witness. In all of life's circumstances, let us be like Paul and Silas, that we are consistent. It doesn't matter our circumstances. It doesn't matter the, the type of person who's around us, that our message is consistent, that Jesus is the one who saves us and we find joy and we find worship in that. And Lord, I believe that that kind of worship has, the, has amazing power to shake prisons to its foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you have anything that I can be praying about, that we can be praying about, I know maybe there's chains in your life that need broken. And sometimes that needs some additional prayer. And I encourage you, talk to me, talk to Greg, talk to Lori, talk to any of our leaders here. We would love to be praying for you. Or maybe you're in a position that you realize that you wanna be baptized. That was in our story. What happened to the jailer? He believed and he was baptized, his whole family. Maybe that's the position you need to be in right now. If you were in that, come talk to me. I'd love to talk with you. But uh, other than that, have a great week. Be praying for our trip that's gonna be heading out to, to Colorado.